We're so glad to be here together this morning. Um, as mentioned, Kondo's been away. We've been hearing from other people in the Mission Point family and those who have been able to teach us in God's Word, and so this morning is no different. We are really grateful to have our worship director, Kyle Brenneman, speaking to us and sharing his story a little bit. Some of you Gracies may know his wife, Emily, from campus, um, but please join me in welcoming Kyle Brenneman. Good morning, Mission Point. All right, yeah. It is so good to get together to worship the Lord and to hear from Him. And, you know, the past couple of weeks is, have, have been no exception to that. You know, um, we heard from, as uh, Emily was, was saying, we heard from Jeff Gill and Tiberius Ratza about passages that God has used in powerful ways in their lives. So two weeks ago, uh, Jeff spoke about how James 1, 2 to 4, uh, that says, Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. How that has impacted him and his wife Kathy in huge ways as she's had recurring battles with cancer. And last week, Tiberius spoke about Mark 5, the, the story of the man who's possessed by a legion of demons that, that Jesus set free and then sent out on a mission to, to tell people about him. Tiberius spoke about how God used that as, when he was a young man to show them that he needed the freedom that only Jesus could offer and that Jesus also called him to go and share. This morning I'm up and I'm going to share about our adoption journey and how God used, particularly used Romans chapter 8 to challenge and encourage us along the way. So let's pray here as we begin. God, we know that your word is living and active. That it meets us where we are and brings the encouragement and the challenge that we need. We thank you that you speak to us through your word to remind us of how good you are and how great you are and how much you love us. God, let that be true here this morning. May we leave here knowing more and more about how good of a father you are to us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So it was the spring of 2011, and Emily and I had been married for a couple of years, uh, and we decided that it was time for us to start a family. We'd always had a desire to adopt, so uh, we, we started trying to get pregnant and started the adoption process at the same time, thinking, you know what? We'll let God decide. So we applied to an adoption agency. We got our home study done and started being presented to birth mothers that fall. And then we did what every couple hoping to adopt does a lot of. We waited. We didn't have to wait too long, though. It only took a couple months for that first phone call to come. And uh, it was just a few days before Christmas. There was a woman in Virginia who was eight months pregnant and had decided to place her child with us. We were super excited. Put a little extra, little extra something on Christmas that year to be able to share with our families. You know, we were, we were with them even and celebrate with them. Uh, so New Year's Day came and we welcomed in 2012 with nothing but excitement for what the year had to hold. I mean, we were literally weeks away from having a child. But then about a week before the baby's due date, we got an email saying that the birth mother had gone silent. 
Despite repeated texts and phone calls and emails, neither the lawyer nor adoption agency had heard from her in over a week. Basically, she had decided to parent instead of place her baby with us. Instead of telling someone, she simply cut off communication. It was like a punch to the gut. We had deep disappointment and a lot of tears. 2012 was off to a rough start. A similar thing happened then just a couple months later. In May, we got chosen by birth mother in South Carolina, and we were excited and started to make travel plans and all that, but then a few weeks before the baby was due, she changed her mind too. So now, we're at two failed adoptions and over a year of infertility. 2012 wasn't getting any better. So we were back to waiting. Another phone call came at the end of July. This was a birth mother in Ohio, and she was seven months along and had chosen us to adopt her baby. And at first, because of, of the experiences we had with the, the, the failed ones, we were a little bit less yes and a little more, all right, here we go. Hopeful, but a little cautious. But that didn't last long, and our excitement grew as we got closer and closer to the due date. Then we found out on September 14th that she gave birth to a healthy baby boy that morning. We had our bags packed, and so we were getting them ready. We were about to go out the door, and Emily got a call from the social worker in Ohio, and the birth mother had sent her a text. It was just five words, but it left us crushed again. Her text said, I can't let him go. can't let him go. Three failed adoption attempts, 18 months of infertility, and lots of tears. So we were back to waiting, but, but we weren't just waiting this time. We were also beginning to wonder if this was ever going to happen for us. Were we ever going to be able to adopt? Were we ever going to be able to get pregnant? Were we ever going to have kids? It was around this time that I came across Romans 8 again. And it struck a chord with me in a way that it hadn't before. So let's look at Romans 8, starting in verse 14 here. It says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God. We have received the spirit of adoption as sons. There is so much confidence in those words about what has happened. And not just confidence, but it gave us comfort. And beyond comfort even, it gave us a reason to celebrate. We are children of God. How 
incredible is that? And, and God, because he knows that we forget this stuff, we need reminded of it, he gives us a spirit of adoption to remind us over and over, hey, you are adopted by the king. Similarly, verse 32 jumped out at me. And it says this, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, that, that verse in particular, after the text, I, I can't let him go. I can't let him go. We read this verse and And we're thankful. Because God could have said the same thing. When he looked down at the world and he saw all of us dead in our sin, we saw how messed up we were, we saw how broken this place is. He could have looked at how much he knew it was going to cost. And he could have said, in looking at his only son, I can't let him That's not what God did. God gave him up for us. God sent his son so that we might be adopted as his children. You see, when we were processing deep disappointment and losing a child that was never ours to begin with, God comforted us with the knowledge that we have been adopted by him and there is no reason to fear. We don't have a spirit of fear. He's given us the spirit of adoption. And there's no reason to fear because God's adoptions never fall through. We are secure in his love, secure in our Father's hand. Because of what Jesus has done, we are and will forever be a part of his family. So God was, was teaching me at this time to take joy and contentment in him is my loving father, knowing that I may never know the joy of being a father myself. That was a hard lesson learned, though. Because even though I never would have said it this way, I was, I was sort of operating under the assumption that because my desire for kids was good, because my desire to adopt was good, clearly God would fulfill it. It's a good desire. He's a good God. It makes sense. He should fulfill it, right? But he never promised me a child. Nowhere in this book does he promise me a child. Does he promise any of us a child or a spouse or a job that we love or success? Now, those are all good desires, and and there's nothing wrong with them, but we just need to remember exactly what they are. Those are our desires, not his promises. There were a lot of well-meaning people who, in their attempts to encourage us, fell into the same faulty thinking that, that I had. It would often take some form of, of, of a sentence like this. It's a, you know, this just wasn't God's child that he had picked out for you. 
Someday, just you'll hold the baby that God has for you, and you'll and you'll know it's all okay. That was not helpful. That was not comforting, because it wasn't true. It's promising me something that God hasn't. And it's, it's setting me up to believe that God has failed if my desire for kids isn't fulfilled. That's not comforting. That's not encouraging. But what, but, but what is, is when someone would come to us and say, look, I know that this hurts. And God knows that it hurts. He is with you, and he cares for you. He is near to the brokenhearted. He loves you so much that he gave his only son so that you could be his child. Point me to the hope that I have in Jesus, not to a child that I may never hold, a desire that may never be fulfilled. But, but this hope, it doesn't just come from looking back at what God has done for us. It also comes from looking forward to what he has in store for us as his kids. Romans eight seventeen and 18 say this. And if we are his children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. As his children, God has amazing things in store for us. Things beyond our wildest imagination. Things that will make our current sufferings completely worth it. Not just worth it. They will pale in comparison. Even though it hurts so bad right now. What, what we wanted was for our pain to be alleviated by God giving us a child. Even though we never would have said this bluntly, we wanted this verse to say something different. We wanted to say, the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing to the joy of holding your son or daughter. But that's not what it says. That aims way too low. Because God promises us something far, far better. A future and a restored creation. A world with no more sin, no more pain, no more tears, where we will be with him and we will be like him. We will have the joy of being with our loving father. And even though I didn't always feel this way, that is so much better than having my earthly desires fulfilled. So Romans 8, in the middle of the pain of failed adoptions and infertility, brought us comfort by reminding us how incredible it is to be a child of God, how much God sacrificed to make that happen, and how much he has in store for us. But God had more for us to learn. Back to 2012. After the adoption fell through in September, we went back to waiting for another phone call. 
We didn't wait long this time. After only five weeks, we got chosen by a birth mother in Wisconsin. She wasn't due until December, but she wanted to meet us ahead of time. So we happily drove up and spent a couple hours with her, and it was great. It was great. We got to know her. Uh, she had a couple other kids that we got to know. Um, she and Emily exchanged phone numbers and texted some in the weeks leading up to her due date. And then on December 12th, 2012, she gave birth to a little baby boy. We had our bags packed, we were ready to go. We were just waiting for someone to tell us to drive, to meet our son, and I got another phone call. The birth mother's sister was at the hospital with her, and the mother decided to let her sister parent the little baby boy instead of us. He wasn't going to be our son. Four failed adoptions, 22 months of infertility, and more tears. It seemed like we were getting closer and closer each time, but that just made the disappointment deeper and deeper each time. We were so excited at the start of 2012, but it turned out to be a really tough year. calendar flipped to 2013, and then in February I got an unexpected call. It was the adoption agency, and the birth mother from Wisconsin, she called them back. Her sister came to her and said, I can't do this, and handed her this two-month-old baby. And she called and said, are the Brennemans still interested in adopting my son? I said yes, and then I called Emily to ask what she thought. Don't make that a habit. Life-changing decisions, consult your wife. I felt like I was on pretty safe ground, though, and, and I was. Uh, so we spent all that afternoon in communication with the adoption agency, with lawyers, social workers, just trying to come up with a plan. And they were in contact with the birth mother. You know, we had to figure out who was going to pick up the baby and from where, and where we needed to be when to, to, to take custody of him, and, and what kind of type of paperwork we needed, like birth certificates and all these different things. So that was Wednesday. We frantically come up with this plan. But then Thursday morning the came and the birth mother went silent. None of us heard from her again. We can only assume that she changed her mind and decided to parent the little guy. You can imagine how we felt. It seemed like such a sure thing. I mean... She spent a couple months desiring for us to adopt this baby. And then two months later, after she decided to place with her sister, two months later, she still has that same desire to, 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 to let us raise him as our son. But that sure thing turned into a fifth failed adoption in a 14-month span. So five failed adoptions, and now over two years of infertility. At one point in the middle of all this, we were meeting with our small group from church and Emily, through tears, said, I'm just tired. I'm tired of praying. I feel like I just can't ask God about this anymore. And then a college student 
in our group spoke up. And he said, that's okay. We've got you. We'll keep praying for you. Do you know how encouraging that was? No, no, not an ounce of shame in his response. Oh, we keep praying, power. No, none of that. It was so encouraging to have someone come and say, I got this. We got this. We will shoulder this burden for you because you are too weary to carry on in praying about it. College students, don't underestimate how much of an encouragement you can be to those of us in very different life situations. Don't underestimate it. It's seven years later and it still brings me, brings me to tears when I think about it. Back to Romans 8, you know, it tells us that it wasn't just this college student or a small group who was praying for us when we were weak and weary. Check out verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit of God was going to the Father on our behalf, essentially praying for us when we didn't know what to pray. Or, or when we prayed for the wrong things. You know how comforting that is? To know that God has provided His Spirit to actively help us, not only by reminding us, you are a child of God, but to make our prayers what they should be. To echo our requests to God, and beyond that, to ask Him for what we actually need as His will unfolds in our lives. Because we don't know what we should always be praying for. You know, there was a, there was a time right after one of our adoption failures that I broke down whenever anyone around me started praying. And not just praying like for us, but praying at all. We were at someone's house and they started praying for the meal. And I had to, I had to get up and, and, and walk out of the room. I, I couldn't handle it. I felt like I was broken. The Spirit of God was with me there. In my complete weakness, and brokenness. He was praying what I wished I could pray. He was praying exactly what I needed for me. Romans 8 had come to alive to us in such deep and powerful ways through this long and hard adoption process. But there was more for us to learn. It was February of 2013 when our fifth adoption attempt fell through. And so we went back to waiting. We waited until Mother's Day. And on that morning, after over two years of trying, Emily found out she was pregnant. Happy Mother's Day. 
it took a little while for it to sink in for me that this was real, that this was actually happening. Uh, but we were so excited. We had five months left on our contract with the adoption agency. So for obvious reasons, we put that on hold. And welcomed Asher into the world on January 16th, 2014. We were so grateful for him. And we adjusted to life as a family of three. That was not easy. When he was a little over a year old, we started having conversations about restarting the adoption process. And, and it was about that time that Emily started praying something that at first made me really nervous. She started praying that God would let us adopt twins. I'm sitting here with a one-year-old thinking, do you not remember what it was like? You want two? So it took me a while, but eventually I joined her in that prayer. Then right as we were getting ready to take some concrete steps towards restarting our adoption journey, we found out we were pregnant again. Surprise. We happily welcomed Eden, a little daughter, into our family on October 23rd of 2015. Once again, we were blown away at the gifts God had given to us. Having two kids after wondering if we were ever going to have any, it was just awesome. But the desire to adopt was still there. So last fall, right when Eden was turning two, we started pursuing adoption again. We had those five months left on our contract with the adoption agency, so they started presenting us to birth parents again in October. And we started waiting and praying and wondering if our phone was ever going to ring in those five months. Well, it did. On January 10th, there's a young woman in Ohio who had chosen us to adopt her five-month-old daughter and son. Yeah, twins. <laughs> I remember exactly where I was when that phone call came. I, I, I dropped to one knee and I pulled the, the mouthpiece away from my, my mouth and I kept it up to my ear and I just started laughing. <laughs> like, I, I could not believe what I was being told. So I said yes and then went to go tell Emily. <laughs> she had a hard time believing this one too. There was one catch though and that was due to some legal stuff their mother would have to sign consent before the twins turned six months old if we were going to be able to adopt them. That was 29 days away. They assured us that it would be okay, that that was plenty of time. Uh, so the agency gave us the mother's phone number, and Emily started texting with her while I started connecting with lawyers and social workers and all that. A little, before, a little more about the birth mother's life situation is helpful here. She... She was a single mom in her early 20s with absolutely no support system. There was no one in her life she could count on. She had a job, but was really struggling to get by because, here's a kicker, when these twins were born, she already had, she already had twin boys who were just 19 months old. Single mom, four kids under two, and no support system. 
one of the first texts she sent included a quasi-apology that she might not be able to respond very quickly to texts because she was just so overhead trying to take care of all these kids. We assured her that that was understandable. So as Emily was texting with the mom, they hit it off so well. And then she offered to send us a picture of the twins. And that's when it got real. There they were. This little girl, this little boy sitting side by side in their PJs, in a brown chair, staring at the camera, smiling. It was hard not to love them at first sight. And there were a couple times early on we got a little nervous because there'd be a couple days between texts, like she warned us. But she would eventually respond and she and Emily would have great conversations. We were feeling pretty good about it. So we told Asher and Eden that soon they were going to, hopefully going to get a sister and a brother. We showed them the picture and they got so excited. But then we stopped hearing from her. Not just a day or two this time, but no response for four days, five days, six days, seven days, eight days. We'd been here before. We knew what it meant. It was over. It was over. With each passing day, it became more and more clear that this was failed adoption number six. And then on a Saturday afternoon, after nine days of nothing, I got an email from our adoption agency. They got this email from the mom. So sorry I haven't been in touch. I'm phoneless until Friday, thanks to my lovely kiddos throwing it in the mop bucket. <laughs> I've had the worst luck the last couple of weeks. I'm only able to check my email at work. Please tell Emily and Kyle I'm so, so sorry. I know they're wondering what's going on. I feel so bad I'm not able to update them. I definitely haven't decided against. I'm so sorry. Unbelievable. But now we had 12 days. 12 days till the deadline. The social worker was able to get her the mom a new phone, and so we set up a time to come visit her on a Thursday, seven days before the deadline. We left our kids with my parents. We drove over to visit the mom and her four kids, and it was a great visit. We shared stories and laughed and cried together. We heard about her life, and I'm not going to share much, but she had a hard life. I ran out and grabbed dinner for us, and, and we ate together, and we were able to help her with a couple small projects around her apartment that she just wasn't able to get to. It was really good. And those kids. Those kids. Another thing that was abundantly clear on our visit is that she loved them so much. The only reason she was pursuing adoption at all, was because she felt like she was drowning under the pressures of caring for, providing for four very small children all by herself. One of the things the lawyer and social worker wanted to make sure happened before the mom signed was that she spent a couple days away from the twins so that she knew what it felt like to have life without them before she signed a piece of paper that was irreversible. 
So they had, the social worker had someone who could care for the twins, but Emily talked about it and we volunteered to watch them if that would make the mom more comfortable. She said yes, and so we drove back home that night and arranged to stay at an extended family member's house who lived nearby, and a couple days later we came back with Asher needing to pick up the twins. It was so good. For two days we fed them, we played with them, we rocked them to sleep, we laughed at their giggles, we comforted them when they cried. Asher and Eden fell in love with them. We all did. We were getting a taste of, a life, as a fa- of life as a family of six, and it was great. It was challenging, but it was great. Monday evening came, and it was time to take them back to their mom. Emily was going to take them back while I put the older two kids to bed. And so we got them in their car seats, and as Emily was carrying them towards the door, Asher lost it. He started, he started weeping and screaming, no, 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 don't take the babies. He grabbed the handle on one of the car seats, and Eden was crying too, and it tore my heart out. I, I pried Asher's hand off of the car seat and, and held both of them back so Emily could leave, and, and, and tears were streaming down my face. It was, it was an emotional week. When, Eden, when Emily dropped off the twins, she called me right away and said, I don't think this is going to happen. Something about her interaction with the, the mother she didn't feel good about. But, but by the time she got back to the house, she had a text from the mom saying, we'll be back with you soon. The next day was Tuesday. I remember the mom had to sign by Thursday, so we stayed in Ohio. That afternoon, I got a text from the lawyers that said this. Just heard back from the mom. She doesn't think she's ready. I suggest you head back home. Man. We were heartbroken again. We told Asher and Eden that it wasn't going to happen, and they took it pretty well. And then we planned to head home the next morning. But that night, the mom texted Emily. And around nine, they, they, they talked on the phone, and, and both Emily and the mom were in tears. And she said that she was definitely going to go through with it, but she needed us to promise that we would stay in contact. She loved these kids so much. We assured her that we definitely wanted her to be a part of their lives. That we didn't just want them to know about this strong and courageous woman who who loved them. But we wanted them to know her. So we made plans to have lunch the next day. It was Wednesday, one day left. We took lunch to their apartment. It was another great visit. More laughs, more tears. Emily and the mom talked about some more specifics in terms of staying in touch and visits and things. And as we were leaving, Eden asked if the babies were coming with us. And we said, no, but, but hopefully we'll see them again soon. The mom quickly replied, oh, well, you'll see them soon. Then came Thursday. The day had to happen. 
There was a meeting set up with the lawyer, the social worker, and the mom for 9 a.m. for her to sign, but that meeting never happened. At 7.24 a.m., I got a text from the lawyer that said this. I'm so sorry to tell you this, but the mom has asked me to tell you she just cannot go forward with an adoption plan. She said she felt so bad for causing pain to you and, and your family. She thought you were amazing good people, but she just cannot go forward. It's too painful for her to be away from the babies. I'm so very sorry. That was it. It was February 8th, and it was over for good this time. I, I can't put into words what I was feeling. The whole thing was so emotionally taxing. It was back and forth. There were at least four times along the way that we thought it was done, only to have it, our hope revived again. Until finally, with that text, it was crushed once and for all. I was exhausted. I was confused. I felt lost. I felt numb and angry at the same time. I was heartbroken. That sweet and giggly little boy, that beautiful and curious little girl, I'd never see him again. But, but none of that anger was directed at the mom. We, we'd grown to love her. And we understood her decision. I don't, and I don't think she ever lied to us along the way. I honestly believe that she thought she was going to be able to sign. That she was going to be able to go through with it, but she just couldn't. And in a way, there was a weird level of we were happy for her. Because we could see how much she loved these kids. We just hoped that she could find some support somewhere. So while I understood, understood her decision, I did not understand what God was doing. I was at a loss there. To dangle, to dangle that in front of us. The exact thing we've been praying for for years. And then rip it away. It felt cruel. What was God doing? Was he even paying attention? It certainly didn't seem like it. Or did he just not care? Did he find some pleasure in toying with us? Did he like building up our hopes time and time again only to finally crush us at the end? And I knew Romans 8. I knew what verse 28 says. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This was for my good? This was for our good? How could this be for my good? How could this be for Emily's good? She'd been praying for this for years. How could this be for Asher and Eden's good? Come on, God. I knew the theological answers, but they were not going to cut it on that day.
was not in a good place. And then Emily got a text from a friend. A friend who'd been praying for us since the very beginning of our adoption journey, seven years before. And this is what the text said. I know you well enough to know that this will only make your roots deeper. I know that if Jesus would have approached you firsthand and said to you, I need you to go to a hard place for me to share my love, but it's going to cost you. And this isn't about you, it's about her. She needs me and I'm choosing you to go. Will you go? Even though it will cost you a great deal, you would have said, yes, I know you. And great will be your reward because you love Jesus enough to hurt for the people he loves. That text message completely changed my perspective. And it brought some measure of comfort. She acknowledged how painful it was, but she also reminded us that there is meaning and purpose and good in all that God does and sends us to do. He just doesn't always ask our permission first. Look, it all works together for our good, not by accident, but because God's hand was in it the whole time. He was orchestrating something bigger and better, something that we can only see in part. We still can't see it. But we trust that he is doing something bigger. Good is not easy. Good is not comfortable. Good is not always pretty. Good is whatever it takes to, as the very next verse says, Romans 8.29, conform us to the image of his son. Good is making us more like Jesus. To make us more loving, more pure, more compassionate, more gracious. Good is whatever it takes to make us care more about the kingdom of God than anything else, so that we can say, not my will, but yours be done. That is what is good. So we can trust that what God brings our way is good, also because we know what it costs God to, to adopt us. It costs him his own son. He didn't pay that high of a cost to be careless with us. He knows exactly what he is doing. And it's all driven by his love for us. Look at Romans 8, 35-39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We regard it as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things 
to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nor adoption failure after adoption failure after adoption failure will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love. Our adoption into his family is secure and he loves us. And with a love this big from God, that he would send his own son for us, sacrifice his own son for us, how can we not also answer the call to love big? Going into this, we knew that it was risky for us to watch those twins for those two days. We knew that opening our hearts to their mother would set us up to be crushed like never before. We knew that it would be hard to love her well. We knew that it would be incredibly hard on our kids to have a little brother and sister for a couple of days and maybe lose them. But I think I went into it with the thought that if I follow Jesus in loving big like this and risking like this, There's no way he will let pain and disappointment be at the end of that road. That's what I thought. But God had other plans. God had better plans. For me. C.S. Lewis wrote about this in The Four Loves. Here's part of what he wrote. He said, there is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. Christ did not teach and suffer that we might become more careful about our own happiness. We shall draw nearer to God, not by trying to avoid the sufferings inherent in all loves, but by accepting them and offering them to him, throwing away all defensive armor, If our hearts need to be broken, and if he chooses this as the way in which they should break, so be it. I was not ready to say, so be it. But God knew that that's what I needed. That's how my heart had to break in order to become more like Jesus. More like Jesus, who didn't try to avoid suffering, the sufferings inherent in love, who faced those sufferings head on because there was no way for God to embrace us as his children without Jesus first embracing the pain of rejection, the pain of slander, the pain of the cross, the pain of being separated from his Father. Because my sin was laid upon him. Suffering in the pursuit of loving others is part of what it means to share in the sufferings of Christ. And as Romans 8.17 says, we share in his sufferings, we share in his glory. You know, this, this can be a scary thing to think about what this means. 
to think about our deepest desires going unfulfilled, to think about how God might want to break us. But we can have confidence in this. God does not crush and break things to destroy. That's what Satan does. That's what the enemy does. He comes to destroy. God tears down to build back up. He takes away so that we can only cling to him. He breaks our hearts to reform them, to be more in tune with his own heart. Because our God is the God who turns mourning into dancing. He's the God who brings beauty out of ashes. He's the God who is making all things new. Our God is the God who raises the dead. But for God to give us dancing and beauty and resurrection, first must come mourning and ashes and death. And we were mourning. We were grieving this loss so deeply. So are we willing to let Jesus use us however he wants to? Even if it means our deepest desires go unfulfilled. Even if it's a road of suffering and heartbreak? Are we willing to love big and risk that for him, knowing he has first done that for us? Are we okay to trust that his plan is for our good and that his plan is best? Even if he doesn't clue us in ahead of time to how he's going to use us. You know, even though we've walked through all this, I have not arrived there. It is not hard for me to come up with a long list of things that make me want to say, no, God, not that. Don't do that. Don't take that. Don't take that. Don't take me down that road. But I know, I know that God will do what he knows is best, and it's better than what I believe is best. And I know that he will provide the grace and the strength that we need to accomplish the mission he has for us, no matter how painful that road may be. It took us a long time. But I think the twins' adoption falling through is the point that we finally, completely surrendered to God's plan for our family. It was just three days after it fell through once and for all that Emily said something that I wrote down. Three days after, she said, whatever God does with our family will be the best. We were a few hours away from our ideal and he said no. It was for Emily's good. It brought her to a point where she could say, not my will, but yours be done. It was for her good. 
once that adoption fell through with the twins. So we had only six weeks left on our contract. And we talked for a couple of days about just being done. The thought of getting chosen again instilled more fear than hope. But we decided to, to run out the last six weeks on our contract and then figure out what to do next. Then on March 8th of this year, exactly four weeks after the adoption fell through once and for all with, with the twins, I got an email from our agency asking if we wanted to pursue adopting a baby doing just two weeks in Detroit, Michigan. Emily was, was with me that time, so I asked her first. <laughs> and then we said yes. Hoping that the seventh time was a charm. We talked to lawyers and stuff, but there was really nothing of any note that happened for the weeks leading up to the birth, other than we found out what day the mother was going to be induced. And she wanted us to be at the hospital. She didn't want to meet us, but she wanted us to be at the hospital. So we waited to tell Asher and Eden until the day before. We went to Martin's and got donuts and told them about this new baby that might soon be their sibling. They were excited. In the car on the way home from Martin's, Asher, my four-year-old, He said, we want God to say yes. But if he says no, we will still love him. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, we will. It was for Asher's good. The four-year-old doesn't learn that lesson any other way, I don't think. for his good. God was showing me slivers of how it was for our good. The next day, it was March 23rd, and we were 40 minutes away from the hospital, and we got a call that the baby had been born. We made it to the hospital in less than 40 minutes. And we met this little baby boy. Forty-eight hours later, actually forty-seven hours and fifteen minutes later, to be exact, his birth mother signed consent, and for all practical purposes, Owen Moses Brenman became our son. More tears. More and more tears, different tears, but more tears. It's hard to believe it, but it was quite possibly the smoothest adoption process you can imagine. So now this is a picture of my family. Asher is four and a half. Eden is almost three. And Owen is five months old. And my wife was right. 
this is the best family we could possibly have. Because it is unquestionably the exact family God wants us to have. This, this is our ideal family. For now, who knows what he's going to do. <laughs> we stopped guessing. And you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't trade it at all. I love those four people so much. I'm so grateful to God. He's blessed me in this way. Such a blessed man. I want to invite the worship team to come back out as, as I wrap up here. But from beginning to end, from when we sent off our application to the adoption agency to Owen's finalization of his adoption, it was 2,643 days. God taught us a lot in those seven plus years by bringing us through a lot. And after thinking about this this week a lot and, and processing it, you know, I, I, I've kind of boiled it down to a few things that I want to remember from this and never, ever forget. And I hope that you can take them with you as well. These three things. First, being a child of God is the best thing imaginable. Always remember that. Two, God's plan is good and God's plan is best. Trust him. And three, nothing can separate us from God's immense love. So love big in response and hold on. That's some of what God has been doing in our lives over the past, even just seven months, eight months. I know that there are people here who are struggling with other kinds of things. Maybe it's similar. Maybe struggling with infertility. Maybe waiting to adopt and it just doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. Maybe you have a deep desire to be married and God has not brought a spouse to you. Maybe, maybe you're struggling with cancer. broken relationships depression and maybe you're sitting there thinking God's not good I wouldn't feel this way if God were good February 8th was for my good. February 8th was for my good. 
It all was. God never left. God never did anything but love me in the ways that I needed to be loved, even though it was hard sometimes. God never used me in a way that I wasn't in the best interest of his plan. And whether we realize it or not, when we, when we sign up to follow him, we sign up to say, use me however you choose. Loss of a loved one. Sickness. Loss of a job. Use me however you choose. Because you are the best good I could ever have. I don't know what God's been doing in this room this morning, but if any of you want to pray, I want to invite the elders that are in the room or any missional community leaders to come down front now. And they're here to pray. I'll be down here too to, to pray with any of you who, who want to pray or any of you who feel like you can't pray right now. Come, let us pray for you. I know that the Spirit is with you and He is for you and He is praying for you too. Let's pray now. God, you are so good. You are so good to us. We don't always feel it. We don't always know it in our experience, but God, we believe it. We believe that your ways are best. That nothing can separate us from your love. We believe that being your children is the best good possible. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. because I know that there are some here who are doubting that today. God, may they find fresh hope in looking to you. May they find fresh support from people here who love you and will not point them to, to empty promises, but point them to your goodness and your plan. point them to the fact that these present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. God, may we stand firm and love big as you have loved us as we wait for that day when all of our trials, all of our sufferings will pale in comparison to the glory that you reveal to us. God, we thank you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.